Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. This is your co-host, Eleanor Rangers, welcoming you to Space 3D. This inaugural season has been interesting as my co-hosts, Emily Carney, Tom Hill and I discussed during this podcast. We'll revisit our impressions of our interviews focused on space medicine, and then we'll transition into a bit of a wide-ranging thinking around season two. Yeah, okay. So let's let's talk about season one. <laughs> uh, the season one wrap up. Season one okay. wrap up. Well, let's talk uh, how it how it became about space medicine. I don't think that was the original plan. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was because when we first were brainstorming about potential topics, we have and we still have like a whole list of potential topics. I guess sort of how it evolved is that when I reached out to a couple of people and they were like, yeah, sure, it ended up that they were medical related topics. And that's sort of how it ended up developing into more of a whole season of, of those interviews. Unless I'm remembering it incorrectly. No, I think you talked to a few people and it was more like medical oriented. So we kind of, we sort of focused a little bit more on that direction. But we talked a lot of, obviously, about a a lot of non-medical things too. So. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I think uh, the idea that one interview could turn into a couple episodes was kind of a a pleasant surprise. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. Jim Logan was like a two-parter. John Charles was was three three parts, and even uh, Dwight Stephen Benecki, who we interviewed regarding Skylab. You know, he, there were so many funny anecdotes that we ended up just creating a whole separate podcast of just sort of the other extra extra goodies and stories. That was a fun interview. I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed all the interviews very much. It was really neat to finally talk Dr. Uh, John Charles. This is somebody I've followed on uh, social media for a long time, you know, and I really liked a lot of his uh, work for the manned orbiting laboratory and stuff. Um, so I was, I, it was really neat to finally be able to, you know, kind of talk to him and pick his brain for the first time, you know, about, you know, medical data that they still have, you know, left over from the Skylab 
days. I didn't even, I'd heard rumors that they had, you know, uh, samples and things left over, but I wasn't sure, you know. That was kind of neat to hear. I, I didn't know they kept all that stuff, which is kind of amazing. They kept a lot of data. Yeah. The, um, I had no idea. Yeah, I'd love to have him <laughs> back maybe, maybe next season to talk about mole. And maybe even uh, yes. once the data is kind of the initial bolus of data is released about the twin study, I think it'd be cool to have him maybe comment, uh, you know, do a show just commenting on that specifically. But definitely MOL. I am excited, too, about Dwight's documentary. I'm disappointed I won't be able to make it to Space Fest to actually see the preview, <laughs> the premiere. Yes. I'm really excited about this. I, I can't speak for Dwight, obviously, but he's a friend of mine. I've known him for uh, several years now, and this is really, you know, a, a labor of love for him. I'm I'm very proud of uh, what he's doing with this. It really sets out to tell the, the true story of uh, Skylab, because there, I, Skylab has been, um, it, it has been talked about a little bit in some uh, documentaries, and you, you guys remember that uh, documentary that came out probably around I'm guessing 2006-ish, uh, when we left Earth, the NASA missions, it was on, like, Discover. Well, it was, it was like a multi-parter. It was actually pretty good, and um, I watched it a few times. They did have a, a small Skylab section, which was quite good. I was, I was impressed with it. Yeah, I've watched some other, you know, documentaries, or quasi-documentaries, I should say, that depict some Skylab-related things, you know, incorrectly. I'm not going to get into detail because I'll just get mad. Eleanor, you know what I'm talking <laughs> yes. about. I don't. I don't know at all. I can't. What, did they talk about Buran on the uh, Skylab? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, they, you know, yeah, uh, the, I think I watched one of them. Okay. For a second, I was like, I don't even want to say that damn word. Uh, I don't even want to say it, but yeah, you know, I've watched some shows that suppose things that didn't really happen. And, you know, it's just, it's annoying, you know, because you're like, okay, you know, I understand they want viewers to watch their show and the idea of certain things spicy happening in space is pretty amazing, you know, but it just, this didn't happen the way it did. And um, the way, it, you know, they wanted to be depicted. And um, this documentary really goes a long ways in diffusing a lot of myths and, um, you know, kind of legends surrounding Skylab. And it's also just a really good tribute to a program that I don't think has quite gotten its due yet, you know, because it, it was kind of in a weird spot. It was between the lunar landings yeah. and the shuttle. So both are pretty spectacular, and I feel like it kind of got overshadowed. So I'm very proud of what he's done, and I'm real excited to see that. So I think... Plus the shoestring that it was pretty much done on. That's one of the more amazing things to me. It's like Mars Global Surveyor, you know, was this tiny mission put together for, I forget the exact cost, but the amount of science return that came from that mission was just crazy. And it was basically the same thing for Skylab. Yep. Yeah, it was just, I mean, and I hate saying this because to me, Skylab is so much more than just, you know, a bunch of spare parts. But I mean, it. You know, it used a lot of the Apollo hardware from, it used a, a, an S4B, you know, stage is the, um, you know, the orbital workshop and stuff like that. It used a lot of Apollo kind of spare 
parts. And I, I kind of hate that term because I think some space historians have kind of characterized it as, oh, it's they just use spare parts. And I mean, it's, that wasn't really the aim of Skylab was just to get rid of surplus hardware at all. But, you know, I think people see Skylab as kind of, yeah, it was a joke scientifically. And I'm like, some of the, there was tons of data returned from it. And there was a, you know, the only thing that I wish, but obviously I, I, I had no put it, input into this. I wasn't even around back then. Was I wish they'd, they'd been able to, they'd had more of a budget so they could have flown more missions. But yeah. of course that wasn't to be. Yeah. Well, so, and I mean, and really yeah, the, so. the bulk of our quote unquote long duration experience with space flight and our not, and our beginning of knowledge about physiology in space, that really, Skylab is where it started. I mean, the, the other, the missions prior to that weren't long enough yeah. to really get, they certainly have results of biomedical stuff that was measured during those missions, but bulk of it really came from Skylab. That was the foundation until they started doing more investigations on shuttle. But even then, those were still at the longest, like 14, 18 days where they would be up there for some missions. Nothing rivaled Skylab until the space station. Exactly. You know, Skylab was the first experience where they realized, oh my gosh, you know, a human body, uh, it appears to grow two inches longer in space because, you know, the your spine decompresses and, you know, your legs get small, appear to get smaller because, you know, all the fluid gets pushed from your legs to your face. You know, these are things that, of course, we know now, but back then they were just they were just beginning to figure this out. So, I mean, I, I just think that's, I just feel like it's very underestimated and a lot of kind of casual armchair observers. I, I hope they can learn a lot from this, this film. So the other thing I find kind of ironic is that this feature length film about Skylab is, is produced by and created by an Australian and who was fascinated with it re entering yes. the atmosphere as a kid. Uh, in 1979, but it's like, what does that say about America that it wasn't really someone in the U.S. that ended up, you know, creating this? I just find that kind of ironic, but I, I'm excited. I can't wait. Do you know if he's going to, um, how it will be released more widely once it's premiered at Space Fest? I am not sure how it'll be distributed yet. Honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I know. He did a, uh, a previous documentary, but I think it was distributed with a book. Um, it, mm -hmm. I think it's called Live TV from Orbit, and it goes into a lot of, you know, the television news during Apollo, and I think some of it during Skylab. So um, I'm not sure how it's going to be distributed as of yet. I mean, I'm, I know yeah. I'll probably find out more in the next few weeks. So yeah, yeah. so that'll, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. And it was cool being able to talk to people that had actually worked in, worked in the space program, you know, like Jim Logan and, and John Charles as well. They were great. And even Chuck Dorn, I mean, he was our very first interview and, you know, Chuck is not, he's, he's on faculty at the University of Cincinnati and in some respects, kind of like us with our miscellaneous interests, how we kind of fell into kind of doing various side things with our space interests. He happens to be a good writer and had some relationships with people at NASA and got involved with writing up a lot of the technical reports and things that were just kind of sitting there. So I think that's pretty neat that he was able to do that. And I think it, and some of that also started, he was working for one of the contractors before he went into, uh, into academia. But yeah, he was, uh, he was another interesting, uh, interview as well. Yeah, I think that's, I think that was really neat because, uh, it's neat to see kind of a, 
a regular person, you know, kind of with a day job, one of us, well, maybe say, well, Tom's an engineer, but, you know, somebody like me, I guess, you know, just someone with a day job kind of doing something at NASA. <laughs> it gives me hope. And then, you know, our last, uh, our last interview um, with Susan Jewell, I mean, that was, that was really fascinating because it was a chance to kind of talk to someone who's with a, with an eye to the future. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of the things she's trying to do in the simulation standpoint is pretty cutting edge. And I would not be surprised if some of the stuff that she's looking at in simulation become incorporated into missions. So maybe, maybe, um, uh, Elon Musk will be tapping her for some, some advice at some point. <laughs> All right, Tom, any other thoughts? Not really. Uh, it's uh, It's been an interesting ride so far. Wish I could have participated a little more uh, as things went on. But with some of the timing of the interviews we had, you know, couldn't uh, couldn't do that. But let's see what comes next. Do you want to talk about some possibilities? Hey, yeah, absolutely. Let me grab my I, – because I have a list. Thank God I try to write stuff down because with so many things going on, my mind becomes like a sieve, so – if I don't write it down, I won't remember it. Well, yeah, the one guy, Andre. Andre Dress, yes. I worked with him uh, back when I was working with our weather satellites, and he has gone on. He's been a program manager for a couple different NASA programs right now. I, I won't say which ones right now. I'll let him state state that when it comes along. But the, the uh, reason I thought he'd be a good interview here was – the Mars mission I was talking about, Mars Global Surveyor, was lost in a an accident that happened, basically. Uh, bad command was sent to the spacecraft, and he was on the investigation team that determined what happened. And I actually invited him to come speak at the Pentagon uh, about how we could all learn, those of us who are working on spacecraft, how we could all learn from what happened on that on that particular incident. So, yeah, that'll be quite a discussion. Yeah, I'd be interested in that very much because that was something I read about, I think. When did that happen? I, I might get it mixed up with another. There was another mission where. I'm thinking it was along the lines of 20, 2008, something along those lines. It's around that time frame. I think I read about it or something, and I it was like, you know, I was really interested in finding out, you know, what had happened. So I think... I think that that'll be very neat to he'll be a really neat guest personally. Some other ones, the other ones, I know Rand Simberg's another guy, Tom, you mentioned. Yes. Rand Simberg, when we were talking about how, uh, you know, people, if we're going to push the envelope, people are going to die. He surveyed other areas where we've decided that something was important. And we accept that we're going to lose lives in doing it. Some of his examples are uh, the the frontier, both of crossing the ocean and the, moving into the American West. I think the most relative item that he that he looked into that relates to space travel is uh, carrier based aviation. And uh, Emily may have something to say about that, having been in the Navy. I know you did nukes, but but uh, we we knew that we needed to be able to base airplanes on aircraft carriers and perfecting that ability cost a lot of lives, but it was determined important. And my personal opinion, this gets into a little bit of some of the stuff I've written about is the idea of objectifying astronauts as heroes counters that, that works against that, you know, national, national heroes. If, 
if every time we lost a sailor or an airman or an army person, it was a national tragedy, uh, some of the things that that they pioneered might not have happened. And Rand Rand uh, has a lot of interesting things to say along those lines. Yeah, I'd be that. That sounds like a really neat thing to talk about because, uh, yeah, I feel like, gosh, I I have a lot to say about that too because. I mean, obviously, I admire you know astronauts, but um, gosh, I wrote a I wrote a piece on my blog probably less than a year ago, and it was basically a it was examining a book I had read that it was about a fictional mission to Venus, and um, and the book kind of I guess is subtly not it, not very outward, but subtly you know subtly skewers the idea of its three protagonists as, you know, these heroic people that, that they're, you know, three very diverse figures and two of them are very flawed. So I just think that's something interesting. I feel like when we try to make somebody into something they're not, we kind of cheapen their legacy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It was like when um, Carl, remember when Carl Sagan died, all of a sudden, you know, people were like, I go on Tumblr and there's people like, oh, St. Carl Sagan Carl Sagan is God, and I'm like, he would hate that, you know? I mean, I, I admire Carl Sagan for his work, and I think he was an excellent science communicator, and I'm certainly not dissing Carl Sagan by any means, but he was a human being, and I feel like when we make him into something he wasn't, like a god, then um, we're kind of cheapening what he really was. So that's something interesting to talk about. Yep. Yep. I concur. And a quick update, uh, Mars Global Surveyor was lost in 2006. Okay, okay, I was wondering when that, I knew it happened somewhere around then, but I wasn't sure of the exact. Another one that we had written down was um, talking about a trip to an asteroid. And actually, Jim Logan has authored something with another guy who was a, a former FIDO at NASA and Mission Control. Uh, and they wrote an article about, uh, like, a theoretical mission to go to Deimos. That's a heck of an asteroid. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess that's more like going to uh, going to another moon. But um, but it would be, I, you know, that might be an interesting topic to talk about. We talk about Mars and Moon, but what about asteroids? And what are some of the technical things, issues with getting to the asteroids? And what do you do when you get there besides just mining? Or is that the only reason to go to an asteroid? I wonder whatever. Um, maybe I'm really behind the curve here, but whatever happened. Remember when NASA was talking about doing like asteroid recapture missions and things like that? That's out of that's out of vogue. I actually I visited the uh, facility where they were building the hardware for that, and honestly, I never got the feeling that they were doing more than a uh, a show. You know, it's like, oh, here, look, here's how it'll work, and all this just going, yeah. Okay, because I. Because I, I hadn't heard anything about that. So I was kind of like, I guess that's off the table now. I don't know. <laughs> now they're saying they're going to go back to the moon. So I'm very, because, they, they, you know, for a while they were like, we're going to go to Mars. And now they're saying they're going back to the moon. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm losing track. Yeah, I I uh, debated bringing it up, but I have my own separate story about my time as a space, space activist and a uh, actually uh, lobbying Congress related to space. It um, it wasn't a very positive experience. 
Well, that might be that might be a cool topic to hear about hear about your adventures and uh, working on the hill. Yeah, it was interesting. Almost almost got arrested for being near somebody who was being accused of passing uh, counterfeit bills. Yeah, now we want to hear. Something. I want to hear more about this. Wow, this is incredible. This sounds good. <laughs> now I want to hear. I want to hear something. This is juicy. Wow, you you piqued my interest now. That's really cool. I mean, not that you almost got arrested, but. <laughs> Well, I do have MOL on the list and propellant depots. I think that was something Tom had suggested. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my things. I've been talking about that for a while. On behalf of my co-hosts, Emily Carney and Tom Hill, I hope that you've enjoyed Season 1 of the Space 3D Podcast. Season 2 is shaping up to be even more interesting with topics including space safety, the Manned Orbiting Laboratory or MOL program, propellant depots, the ups and downs of space advocacy, and other compelling topics. We hope you'll join us. This is Eleanor Rangers wishing you a pleasant summer. We'll be back in the fall of 2018 for more Space 3D. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.